your friend, the therapist. On this podcast, we're skipping the small talk and working to destigmatize mental health through intimate conversations with everyday people about their mental health journeys and how they stay well in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Vicki Trong, an associate marriage and family therapist and professional clinical counselor practicing out of downtown Tustin, California. Hi, Vicki. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation. We're on separate coasts. We're in slightly different kind of niche areas of the field. So I'm I'm really interested to hear about your work and and what taking care of yourself in the midst of doing all this work looks like. So maybe I'll start just with the question about what does wellness mean to you and how do you stay well while taking care of your clients and, <laughs> and living a full life? Right. I think for me, wellness has changed in terms of how it feels to me. Um, mm. Before, I think maybe in my 20s, wellness was like, how how much can I sustain a really busy lifestyle? Um, but today it's more about how it feels to me in my body. Like, mm. you know, if, if I need that rest, like am I, you know, it's honoring that rest. It's honoring, um, you know, processing times, um, which is very different than how I operated before. Um, I think with being a mom and also wanting to share those those tools to my child, really embodying it has been really important to me. Yeah, I really love that distinction. One of the things that I'm hoping to kind of get out of some of the conversations we're having on the podcast is how, what is wellness separate from this industry of wellness yeah. that's trying to sell you things? And I very much hear in that answer that this is not like a thing that I'm buying or doing. It's a very like a lived way of experiencing wellness. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think I think I'm seeing a shift in that in a lot of the culture um, out here in California. I'm not sure how it is in Maine, but a lot of people just with this this increase of autoimmune disorders and um, illnesses, I think it's it's really taking it's it's really having people pay attention to that and really noticing the connection between physical health and emotional psychological health. Yeah, yeah, and and being on the East Coast, there is certainly a stereotype that California is like the heart of the wellness <laughs> industry. I'm curious to hear more about that from your perspective. What you're noticing as far as the cultural shift. That's a really good question. I, you know, I'd really like to sort of be in a different state sometime and like, you know, like be in conversation with people that live in different areas. Um, I think I, I just moved out here to Orange County. Um, well, I didn't just move out here, but I've always lived in Southern California. And I think what I've noticed moving out here to Orange County is there is a really big emphasis on wellness. Um, but usually like what I'm noticing, and this could be my own bias, is this, um, this turn towards aesthetics, like how I look mm. to people, like as opposed to how I feel. Um, maybe that's shifted a little bit, but that's sort of what I noticed with the selling points of a lot of the products around wellness. Mm. Um, so I've, you know, I when I see a practice or when I see a clinician that's really focused on um, how people actually feel as opposed to, you know, the aesthetics of things, it's, it really grabs my attention. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really important distinction because wellness 
for a lot of people, it can be like face masks and getting your nails done, which I think are great. But right, there is that it doesn't get to the embodiment piece. And I'd love to talk more about that. Um, I didn't have you on because of like your um, perspective on embodiment, but that is one of the things that I love to talk about. I didn't even know that that was an area that you were also interested in. So I'd love to hear what embodiment means to you and how you work with that in your clinical practice. Sure. So I, my work focuses on, um, so I'm an EMDR therapist. I focus a lot on trauma. I also do couples work. And so a lot of my focus is usually on how people would like to be in the world as opposed to how do I survive this or how do I, you know, if there's some, if there's some sort of unconscious dialogue that's happening around what, what people, what story people took on when the trauma happened and they're carrying that in their life, you know, there's either this constant angst or this constant suppression of emotion Um, And so I I really like helping people work through those things so that they can be a certain way in the world, be a certain way in their relationships. Um, And I think that's what, um, for me, I've seen really sustains health. Yeah. Yeah. And I am not an EMDR trained therapist. I'm familiar with it. But for people who might not be familiar with what EMDR is specifically, do you mind giving like a little, not that I'm asking you to be the expert, but just in your your practice, kind of what it looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, And it's a form of psychotherapy that helps people heal from symptoms or like emotional distress from anything they've experienced in their life. So um, trauma is such a broad word nowadays. I feel Mm -hmm. like I hear it everywhere. But um, for me, trauma, um, I'm going to take Dr. Gabramate's definition. It's, It's usually something that we um, that either failed to happen to us, um, and I, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but something that failed to happen to us or something that happened that was just beyond our coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes we don't know what that is until we're operating in the world and we're noticing that something just doesn't feel right. Like, how come I'm not responding accordingly to the present moment? Um, so that's when, you know, people will come seek out EMDR because it's something, some psychosomatic as opposed to something we can work out through talk therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And EMDR is, as far as I know, is a very, there's growing and it's like evidence Mm -hmm. uh, based research is like a, as a somatic approach to reprocessing and, and integrating trauma, which is really fascinating, really cool. Absolutely. I think I started my training back in 2019, and I remember the trainer saying that the time frame someone spends doing EMDR therapy is a lot shortened than if someone were to do talk therapy over the same mm-hmm. sort of symptoms or um, having the same treatment goals. Yeah. What interested you in EMDR specifically? Yeah, I, you know, I've heard so much about it. I had a lot of um, close people around me. Um, that, that used it and found it effective. And then I went and sought out my own treatment in it and found like, what is this? Like, how come I haven't heard of it? Um, and then I had an opportunity to, uh, go through a training, um, in, in San Diego. So San Diego is probably about an hour away from here. And, um, I just, you know, I found the community just, it was just really hopeful. It was just really Mm -hmm. hopeful that people could heal from things that just would devastate, you know, me or just, how how people could move forward after something happened. When I saw that people were able to do that, it was just like, okay, no, this is my thing. This is definitely what yeah. I have to do. 
Were you already interested in more somatic approaches to therapy at that point? Or was this kind of a, the original, the origin story of your embodiment um, journey as a clinical practice? I think I always was interested in how what happened to people would, well, there's, there's two parts of that. So I, I was always interested in couples work. I, I love couples. I think I, I, I've, I, I just believe that, you know, with, with healthy coupleship or partnership or even just friendships, like we thrive, um, you know, when we do have difficult moments in life, like when we're able to turn to someone that we can trust and feel safe with, like mm-hmm. it helps us so much in this like individualistic model of like, how, what, what are your coping skills? You know, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So um, I always loved that. However, um, with the trauma work, I, I found what I saw was people who grew up in homes um, where they didn't have any of those, you know, that safety net, like they weren't able to really attach to people in a certain way. So I'm not in a, you know, I don't do attachment work or anything like that, but I was just kind of noticing like there is this thing with trauma and like relationships. And um, I think EMDR was that piece that I've, I, like I really wanted to integrate in my practice of just like, okay, like what, what did people experience with relationships and how do we move forward so that they're able to, you know, have experienced relationships in a way that's really powerful and sustaining for them. Yeah. So are you doing EMDR individually or does it, can you do it in a dyad with couples? Yeah, I do both. So what I've seen too is when someone's doing EMDR individually, if I'm doing EMDR with someone individually and there's a, a partner with them, either holding their hand or just like holding them, it's just a really powerful experience. Yeah. I have Um, never heard of anyone doing EMDR in that way. And it's probably because I'm pretty disconnected from EMDR work, but that that is so fascinating. Reminds me of another uh, Gabor Mate quote that I love, which is safety is not the absence of threat, but the presence of connection. Yes, absolutely. I love that quote too. (laughs) I really like his work, if you could tell. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think he's done a lot for the, like the somatic, um, the somatic psychotherapy world. And you had talked about like the autoimmune disorders, just noticing um, people starting to have this understanding of how their lived experience affects their physical body. Do you work with, um, with autoimmune disorders or is that just an observation you have of kind of the world around you? You know, I don't specifically, like, I wouldn't say that my niche is with autoimmune disorders, but I do notice that a lot of people that do come in there, there is something like there is a prevalence in a lot of people that I see um, mm-hmm. that that are, you know, are coming in for, for trauma and are suffering from some sort of autoimmune disorder, if not that, but it's just like just constant fatigue, just chronic fatigue, something yeah. physiologically. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my personal introductions into my own therapy was through a chronic illness. And so I, I'm mm-hmm. definitely relate to that story. And I think that we're learning that it's so much more common than we had originally thought. Like the field is finally catch the field of psychotherapy is finally catching up to people's lived experiences in the world and like ancient, you know, forms of healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, like my, um, I work with a lot of like the Asian American community and um, a lot of culturally just the, the, <clears throat> 
the emotional connection is not really prevalent in the culture. And so I'm seeing that a lot of the change in that is really, um, how do I want to say this? It's, there's, there's a lot of growth in people coming into therapy and really, you know, acknowledging emotions and the power of that and how it affects to our physiological state. Um, and that's a very new direction, um, I think, for our generation. Yeah. Yeah. And I did read on um, your practices website that one of your kind of areas is like cultural competence. And of course, that's something as therapists, we all have to have on some level, but it sounds like you have a special interest in the cultural context in which people are living. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, it's really hard to talk about mental health and really understand and provide a conduit for healing if we don't understand people's cultural context. Um, So the importance of being curious and really being open-minded to other people's lived experiences, that's, that's everything. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is another way that it sounds like the field as a whole is changing is not from just this individualistic, like I need to fix what's going on in me, but like seeing people within the bigger systems that we all exist within. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, and you're right. A lot of our, you know, the DSM, it's very individualistic. It's, you know, it's very symptom oriented. Um, but I come from, so I, I, I focus on more narrative therapy, which is, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which is non-pathologizing, non-blaming. So a lot of that is really um, looking at discourses and social discourses that impact individuals. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love narrative therapy and I, I don't know you- that I've ever met another therapist who has that, um, background or that interest I'm curious yeah I'm curious if if you would talk a little bit about what narrative therapy is and how that how you integrate narrative therapy in with like the trauma work and the couples and EMDR yeah okay and again you don't need to be the expert but no of course of course I'm really happy to meet another narrative therapist out in you know another state maybe we could link up after this but um yeah so I went through um my training was through the Pepperdine um, University Community Counseling Center, um, and it was supervised by Dr. Wig and David Marston. They were both narrative therapists, um, and I was introduced to this um, therapy. In I, I actually went in during the shutdown, so 2020, um, and I was really struggling with. I, I was interning at the time at a boys and girls club in Garden Grove, um, out here in California, and I was really struggling. Um, to sort of integrate a lot of the um, the techniques and, you know, the modalities that I was taught in school just because it didn't, there were so many other external factors that were impacting their health that, were, that weren't addressed, that I couldn't address, in, that I felt like I couldn't address in the treatment. Um, so when I went and, you know, to the counseling center and got the training in narrative, I just felt like they spoke my language. I just remember the first time I was in training um, and they were talking a lot about, you know, people being impacted by discourse as a part of people being the problem. Mm. That really spoke to me um, and really naming some some of those things like patriarchy and white supremacy and um, capitalism, you know, big T trauma um, and really, like having that language be integrated in my practice, it felt 
if I felt so much more open, like I felt like, okay, I didn't have to be the expert. I could invite someone in and really collaborate with them mm-hmm. and really have them share their story or create their story outside of this narrative of, you know, whatever, whatever trauma or whatever, you know, whatever problem story they had. Um, yeah. And that felt like I was treating someone with so much more dignity mm-hmm. um, than the other practices that I was, you know, sort of taught. So that, and ever since then, I've just like, I'm never going back. Like, this is the way, yeah. this is, this is the path for me, at least for now, who knows if I change mm-hmm. course, but inter- it, like integrating that in EMDR has been really powerful because it takes the problem story outside of someone somatically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and narrative therapy is all about, well, from my perspective, is all about uh, creating a richer, fuller story of your life rather than just these thin narratives, like whether it's the, the trauma narrative as your full identity. So I imagine that combined with EMDR, which is somatically doing the reprocessing, while right. at the same time, you're like cognitively creating a richer story. It seems like that'd be a really powerful combination. Exactly. hundred percent. Yes. I imagine too, couples is not my area of specialty, but I've done some family therapy work. I imagine that in the context of couples, you have the opportunity also to create stories of the relationship that are not so defined by problems or exactly. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially like just the technique of like this just wonderfulness interview of just like in the beginning, you know, having them share stories of this relationship and what they've survived and what foundation, you know, they've, and really inviting in the tools that they've brought in the relationship. Like I'm, you know, I can't fix the relationship, but I'm sure like we could dig up some things that you both have, you both have that as just unique to your relationship. That is such a dignified way to treat a couple as opposed to, you need to do this and you need to do this. And, you know, this is what's wrong with your relationship. Right. Yeah. Because more effective. Absolutely. And in couples, I think people, individuals also, but couples especially are coming to therapy usually because there's a problem Mm -hmm. they want to fix. I I don't know if that's true for your experience. I think that's at least the stereotype. Absolutely. Yeah. What interested you in um, this relationship couples? work? I think since I was a teenager, I've always been, I've just really loved love and I've always loved relationships. And, um, you know, I've seen horrible things happen in relationships, but I've also witnessed so many great things. And I've, you know, I do, I've, I've read so much and I've learned so much about the power of relationships, like I said before, and the impact on health and how you know, I'm going to use the word toxic, but it's just like some toxic relationships really take a toll on our health, but then also like really healthy relationships and really, you know, really loving, caring, tender relationships can offset a lot of the stress that we go through. And so, yeah, I'm still a believer of it. And I, you know, I'm hoping to really create that in my practice. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do, I know you're a an associate in marriage and family therapy. Do you do families as well, or do you stick more to the couples, the two people? I do. I do do family work. Um, and as I'm talking, I'm thinking about a few like family um, families that I've seen, and just to see them come together, um, it's just such a 
rewarding experience. It's a real, it's a privilege really to mm-hmm. see people um, really witness how discourse can separate them um, and how they find their way back to each other. Mm. And so, yeah. yeah, it's, it's been, it's definitely been really rewarding. <laughs> yeah. I really, that analogy just sits so like warmly, not analogy, but what you just said about people being separated by this discourse that's been mm-hmm. created and the process of therapy being a way to come back together. Absolutely. Feels very non-pathologizing, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And what I know from working in family therapy in the past is it can be quite uh, draining on the <laughs> professional involved. I'm curious how you take care of yourself in the midst of all of this, like really, I imagine heavy, sometimes exhausting work that you do. Absolutely. Um, so just like full disclosure, I, I'm also working full time while I am cr- like accumulating my hours. So <sighs> wellness is pivotal. Like if I'm not well, none of this happens. So I think for me, um, and I'm sure like other clinicians have their way. I know like after there's just things that I do for myself, like I need to like do things that I love. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of that is like in the creative space. So I also play piano. I don't see it as a hobby. I think it's like, it's almost like a release. Like I need to use a certain part of my brain that just, you know, I just have to be in something creative or I'll, you know, I'll do something really fun on the weekend and not have to do this problem solving, um, you know, or just, yeah, I think it's a lot of making sure I'm also enjoying life, that Mm -hmm. the problems aren't taking over my life as well, that I'm also seeing the good in things, um, just so that I could go forth in a, in a more balanced, um, I think just a balanced, grounded way. Otherwise, I'm just sort of, you know, I don't want to be in this survival mode all the time either. Yeah, absolutely. And that is especially challenging when you're navigating working full time, getting your hours for licensure, raising a family, taking care of yourself. But it sounds like you really see that that is, I have to balance all these plates in order to stay well, I can't really let the wellness thing go to the side. No. And I've paid a price for doing that of just like, no, I could take another client or I could, you know, do this extra thing. I just feel this sense of burnout at the end of the weekend and I'm completely checked out. And that's when it's just like, okay, no, this is not, this is not working. We're, we're going, let's, 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 you know, hone it back. Yeah. And I, Um, one of the things that I am hoping to accomplish in this podcast is talking about what wellness and care looks like out of the context of just an individual. And you feel like the perfect person to open up the conversation around not just self-care, but community care. How do we, because they don't exist apart from one another. We can't be well, like just all on our own in our own little bubble. And I'm, I'm curious what you think about that with your you know, expertise in families and couples and just your love of relationships in general, the concept of community care. Yeah, I am really fortunate to have a group of women who I've always been able to go to um, and have maintained a relationship with where we are able to be with each other through really difficult times while also really sharing great moments. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of the clinicians that I met at Pepperdine, um, 
new Emily, Nicole, like a lot of, I'm just going to kind of give them a shout out. Like they're all like my people. <laughs> You know, so it's like, and it's great because when we're therapists, we know it's like, we don't want advice. We just want like an outlet, (laughs) right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think having that community there and really being able to emphasize um, what we're needing, that's really important. Um, Mm -hmm. And also being able to receive, you know, it's like, I think people in this field are really great at being givers. Um, and yeah, and I'm also really lucky to be in like a partnership with someone at the moment where we, we could, you know, be ourselves and not hold back. And, and I think that's so important of, you know, being able to ask for what we need and also being okay and receiving, which is something that can be difficult for people in space of, you know, healer, giver, you know, yes. that, that kind yes. of role. Yes. And going back to that narrative therapy lens and naming the systems patriarchy being a a Mm -hmm. woman in the world we're not conditioned to be on the receiving end of things so it can take some extra work absolutely we're conditioned to be givers to be the problem solvers um and especially Mm -hmm. like women of color like we're not really taught to be receivers we're the we're the support and so changing that, and it's, it's especially important because I have an eight-year-old daughter of modeling that for her, you know, being in reciprocity with someone and giving and receiving. I think that's really big when it comes to wellness and um, just mental health in general. Yeah. Are there ways that you are intentionally teaching her about some of these things? I know you're modeling your own life are these conversations. I'm not a parent, so I'm always curious how other parents are integrating all of their own learning into their relationship with their children. Absolutely. I think she's also like gotten a little bit of, um, for me, I think really it's important for me to model rest for her and what that Mm -hmm. looks like and having fun. Um, by default, I'm such a go kind of like, I'm always on the go. Like we need to run, like we need to check things off the list. Like Saturday is like target, like, you know, just the, you know, we have to do everything. But I think the shift for me is just like, okay, we're going to recognize when we're tired and we're going to honor that and rest. We don't have to answer that phone call. We don't have to answer that text right away. It will always, it will always be there. Um, And so that's been really important. And also, the integration of um, growth has been really important. Like that's a huge value that I have with my daughter of how are we growing emotionally? Like what are we learning right now? What are we struggling with? And really being honest and open and vulnerable about that. And so I'll share with her and then she's able to share with me. And it's it's a really great um, sort of bond that we have. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, I... In sort of like wrapping up, I'm curious to hear what you're reading or watching or what you're doing in a real like tangible way to stay well, take care of yourself, take care of your family, Um, anything that you want to plug that's on the more fun side. On the fun side. Um, Or maybe not fun. I'm putting my own like judgment on it that it needs to be fun. It's not. (laughs) So I, let's see, what am I doing? So I, 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 I'm a really big, like avid person. I, I, I lift a lot. Like I, so I, mm. I'm really big into gym and um, the gym. And I also, my daughter and I do martial arts together. 
Oh, very cool. And um, let's see, in terms of what I am doing. So my partner and I are currently watching uh, The Morning Show because the season three is coming out. Um, so I haven't watched it before. I'm really big on, um, you know, a lot of the um, political shows and sort of like the, you know, just kind of watching how everything happens. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I, you know, I, I don't, um, a lot of hikes out here. We're in Southern California. So. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure you don't have a ton of time for hours and hours of leisure activity. No, um, but that's yeah. great. I just want to. <laughs> Hello. What are you doing for fun right now? Do you have no. fun things? Nothing. Nothing? Just hanging out with mom? <laughs> awesome. Well, Vicki, where can people find you if they want to learn more or if they want to work with you? What could that look like? Yeah, I can... Uh put a link to my website or my supervisor's website. I'm the Well Therapy Group at Intestin. um, And there's a contact me button and they can reach me there. Awesome. Yes. And I will link that all in the show notes. Um, I have that information on my end because I did my homework. Um, So we'll put that in the show notes if people are in your area and want to reach out. That's how they can get in contact with you. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. This has been another conversation with your friend, the therapist. To follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at your friend, the therapist pod, and you can follow my work as a trauma therapist and yoga teacher on Instagram at Carrie Fillion Psychotherapy on my website, carriefillion.com. Take care and stay well.